counsel the doubtful, instruct the ignorant, console the sorrowful, forgive injuries, bear wrongs patiently, pray for the living and the dead. All of these are spiritual works of mercy that we learn from our first days in catechism as Catholics. And they all seem like good things to do. And I think that most people try to do them as best as they can because they know that they're signs of being a good human being as well as being a good Christian. But there's one more that I left out that's often a lot harder to do than the rest. What I have done and what I have failed to do sometimes includes this one because we're not always sure how to go about it. And sometimes we just don't do it. Admonish the sinner. In an age in which fundamentalisms of various religions seem to be on the increase, we are all too aware of the fact that zealots often proclaim themselves as the morality police and make the lives of those they think are sinners a living nightmare. And this when even religious figures are rightly called out for rank hypocrisy, for not only not practicing what they preach out of weakness, but persecuting and even executing people who've committed the same exact sins they do. I think that there's something deep inside most of us that goes, you know, that could be me too. Therefore, only by the grace of God go I. As Christians, we also know the words of Jesus. Judge not, lest ye be judged. He who is without sin cast the first stone. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. We know that at the end of our lives, we will be judged by the just judge, Jesus, on how we have loved And we certainly can't pretend to love others while we're stoning them, either by rocks or words or even omissions of charity. There are many people, it must be admitted, who do not find in the church the love that they're made for. But they do find, or at least they feel, judgment, discrimination, and even downright hatred. Somewhere which is supposed to be a safe space for sinners to be redeemed, justified, and sanctified. Experiences of toxic religion often impel people to leave the practice of any faith at all and even doubt not just God's goodness, but His very existence at all. But most of us also really don't like conflict. We don't want people to get mad at us. 
We fear that if we say the wrong thing or say it in the wrong way or at the wrong time, it's just going to make everything worse. And then there's never going to be any hope of reconciliation and peace. The more we love someone, the more we suffer under the burden of this very human reality. We see broken hearts and strained relationships and the havoc they cause all over the place and the memory of what was and the hope for what could be causes us to be very skeptical of bold moves and reticent to rock the boat. At the same time, though, true charity is more than being nice to people. I remind you that we believe in the Nicene Creed, not the nice creed. I mean, it's not nice in the sense of being socially acceptable to call out bad behavior for what it is. But sometimes the strong medicine of fraternal correction is just what the divine physician orders. We have to love people enough to be uncomfortable enough to say, my dear friend, God in his word and through his church reveals what makes us truly who we are and what you are doing is going to have consequences I know you don't really want in this world and maybe even the next. Sometimes these things have to do with divine law, sometimes with church discipline. But either way, the relative gravity of those actions doesn't mean that those actions don't still have meaning. Consequences and effects sometimes far beyond what we may have ever intended with them in the first place. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've won over your brother. If he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, so that every fact may be established on the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, then treat him as you would a Gentile or a tax collector. I want you to think about how absolutely amazing this passage from Scripture is. Our Lord actually gives us a template for conflict resolution. But how often do we do it? You know, as I was praying in preparation for this Sunday's Mass, I was convicted in my own life of how many times I have not done exactly what Jesus says to do here. Right? And I've hurt others. I've hurt myself. Some of you in church this morning I've hurt, and I'm really sorry for that. And reflecting on that, I realize the true wisdom that's here, because we realize that sometimes we try to short-circuit what our Lord gives us as the pattern to resolve conflicts, 
and then everything goes terribly wrong. And so the Word of God today offers us a possibility to renew that wisdom in our own lives again. This wisdom is something which needs to be the pattern by which we live our life, right? And by which we do everything in our lives, in family life, in our workplaces. You know, it's a little known fact that our school even has handbooks where inside it's how do we handle conflict resolution, right? Because wherever there's people, things are going to happen, right? And it says, go to the person first, right? Don't go to text groups and Facebook, right? Go to the person first, right? And then go up the food chain, as it were, right? There's a reason for that. It's wisdom, right? And it also means that when we follow what God is asking us to do, the chances are that through His grace, there can be healing conversations that produce light instead of heat. But we don't always do this. And it is as valid for calling out someone who has sinned against you as it is something that doesn't have anything to do with you at all, but is still going to imperil the salvation of a loved one. Yet often we prefer to turn a blind eye or act in a passive-aggressive manner or let ourselves be paralyzed by inaction. We commit sins of omission when we choose not to engage. Often we do so because we're goaded into silence by fear. Especially when someone harms us or others we love, we want to bury our heads in the sand and just hope it all goes away. Or we think, okay, you know what, this is not my circus, not my monkeys, right? So why should I get involved? Yet James chapter 5 verse 20 says, whoever brings back a sinner from wandering will save the sinner's soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. So yes, when we actually have a relationship with the person, with patience and mercy, we do what we can to get them to see what we see. And you know, often God uses the combination of firmness and gentleness from a place of real concern and authentic desire for the other's good to touch someone's heart and move them to conversion. But there are times when we follow God's plan, just as outlined in sacred Scripture, and it doesn't work, or at least it sure doesn't seem to. They react angrily. They threaten to end our relationship, and sometimes they even try to intimidate and bully us into silence, even after we've done everything right and with a right intention. Treat him as you would a Gentile or a tax collector. Those are the words of Jesus. 
But doesn't that seem kind of strange to you? It seems very strange to me. It's weird words coming from the same Lord who came to save the Gentiles and had a tax collector as an apostle, St. Matthew. What is this all about? What our Lord is getting at is that the Jews of His time had as little as possible to do with them because they believed contact with them would render them impure before God. It sounds harsh and a tough love lesson for those on the receiving end of it. But there's more to it than that for Christians. You know, when people treat us badly, it says more about them than it does us. I mean, when people treat us badly, we react to it, right, because their bad behavior is directed at us. But in the final analysis, it isn't about us. And we cannot be their Savior. We cannot heal them. And God in His mercy knows that if we keep on and on infinitely trying, we risk not becoming ritually impure before Him, but embittering our hearts and burdening ourselves with another's sin when we're meant to be free. And He asks us something that is really, really hard sometimes. He asks us to let go. Sometimes we have to let them go after we have done what He's asked. Because He, and not we, are their Savior. We pray, we sacrifice, and we entrust them to God. We admonish the sinner if we have to, and then we've done our work. We leave it to God and to them, but we don't let it destroy our interior peace. We don't let it destroy our sense of our value is made in the image and likeness of a loving and merciful God. You know, in our community, we're always going to have some hard conversations that need to be had, right? We live in a fallen world, and it's important to have those conversations, but to have them with hope. And so let's have them and abandon in faith their results to the wise providence of God.